Washington. Raging review. The Raging Cajuns will be a source of pride for this university, for the alumni, fans, and donors as we achieve success in the classroom, in the competitive arena, and in the community. It's about to get really fun. We're looking for dudes that will stand up. Well, Coach, let me tell you today, I'm here and I'm ready to stand up. And I challenge you, Raging Cajun Nation, to stand up with us. Stand up with us. Let's lock hand in hand. And let's walk through the gates of Omaha. Hey, I love y'all boys. Let's grind every day starting today. Let's do it. Y'all ready? Alarm! Alarm! Ready! Who's your team ready? Who's your team ready? That's up! I got one thing to say right here. Cajun win! Ladies, gentlemen, children, and babies, Cajun Nick. Hello once again, and welcome to another edition of the Region Review Podcast. I'm Jerry. I'm here with Nick. Man, Nick, college baseball right around the corner. It's pretty much here. You fired up? You ready? It's it's your pastime. It's your pastime, just like mine. We got right? we we got college baseball. We got softball, of course, starting up. We got beautiful weather in Houston. We got Mardi Gras, which, by the way. I'll be in town for Mardi Gras and possibly opening day as well. So really pumped up that uh, I'll be in Lafayette for some for some good times over the next couple of weeks. I'm pumped up, baby. The prodigal son returns to the 337. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to come home. Sometimes you got to get that that Cajun flair, right? You got to get that. You, you got to come back to your roots. I'm going to unfortunately mention the fact that today I was driving. Okay. Houston commute is like an hour long, right? So I'm sitting in my, in my vehicle during Houston commute bumper to bumper traffic on 290 going. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to MLT more field at Russo park for today's game featuring. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm really doing this out loud right now. I'm not just thinking it. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to be back in the ballpark, man. Well, we got lots to talk about when it comes to MLT Moorefield at Russo Park. That means we talk, we're talk. we talking some Cajuns baseball this episode. It's going to be strictly dedicated to Louisiana baseball. And what better person to talk college baseball with us than one of the most popular national writers in all of college baseball. From D1 Baseball, Mr. Kendall Rogers will be joining us tonight. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the Cajuns. We'll review last season. We'll talk about this upcoming season, what Kendall sees and uh, what kind of you know, what, what can we look forward to and seeing the Cajuns try to make their third straight postseason appearance dating back to 2022. But first, before we get to Kendall, let's say thanks to our sponsors. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining Raging Review for another weekly episode. We'd just like to encourage you to patronize our great sponsors like Dr. Brett Venable and Recovery Cairo Med. Have you been in a car accident or hurt yourself lifting on the job? Are you having neck pain or back pain? but really don't want to deal with a long, drawn-out process, then call the chiropractor Raging Cajun athletes use for their neck and back pain, Dr. Brett Venable. The bottom line is, you just need to feel better. You need to get better quickly. That's where Dr. Brett Venable comes in to make all the difference. Dr. Venable and his integrated team of rehab, chiropractic, and medical doctors have three locations in Acadiana to serve you. Opelousas, New Iberia, and of course, main office in Lafayette. Dr. Brett Venable is one of very few chiropractors recognized by the state of Louisiana as a chiropractic specialist. He is also the only chiropractor in the Cajuns Healthcare Alliance and the only chiropractor on the board at Tulane School of Professional Advancement. Before you start to stress about the process, remember, this is exactly why you pay for car insurance. These situations are exactly why you carry workman's comp. There's no need for a court date. Your first call should be to Dr. Brett Venable and his great team at Recovery Cairo Med. No hassle, no waiting, and quick relief. Come and find out what our Raging Cajun athletes and over 10,000 Acadiana residents already know. For more information, call the Lafayette office at 337-988-2188 or visit recoverychiromed.com, recoverychiromed.com. We'd like to thank Dr. Brett Venable for being an RCAF member and the exclusive chiropractic sponsor of the Ragent Review podcast. Also, a huge thank you to Absolutely Embroidery and More. We know how much Cajun Nation loves their gear. At Ragent Review, we get our gear from Miss Phyllis Thibodeau and the team at Absolutely Embroidery and More. 
absolutely has a massive inventory of Rage and Cajun apparel to choose from. If you can't find something you like, absolutely can make something you'll like right there in the shop. And if your creation proves to be a popular item with customers, absolutely will give you a little incentive for helping out with the cause. Bring in your vermilion and white shirts, hats, shorts, socks, dresses, jackets, sweaters, or whatever garment you need to represent the Cajuns. Absolutely also offers customized embroidery services to promote your business on hats, polos, uniforms, etc. Absolutely rounds out the collection with an assortment of exciting accessories for the lady Cajuns in your life. Earrings, headbands, bracelets, clutches, and bags are just a few options to complete her spicy look. Pass by 3010 Kali Saloon Roan in Lafayette and see the wonderful ladies at Absolutely Embroidery and More today. They'll treat you to quality Cajun clothing, complimentary gourmet cookies, and a friendly conversation. And if you're an out-of-town Raging Cajun, visit them on the web at absolutelyembroideryandmore.com or visit their social channels on Instagram or Facebook. There, you'll find pictures of what the ladies are putting on the shelves in real time. Once again, folks, please support local businesses and please support businesses that support the Raging Cajuns and especially the Raging Review Podcast. Once again, thanks to our sponsors again, Dr. Brett Venable, Recovery Cairo Med, and of course, Absolutely Embroidery and More. They support the pod. They are local, so please return the favor and support local. Not to mention, got to give a shout out. Uh, also, if you want to give to NIL, give to the Crew Alon. That is the official, that is the official name, image, and likeness uh, party of the University of Louisiana. Uh, the Crew Alon they exist to enhance the experience of raging Cajun student athletes and provide experiences for them to connect with our engaging and enthusiastic fan base. They help with student athletes by monetizing their name, image, and likeness through experiences and connections in the community. Those experiences will connect our student athletes to your family and business. The crew raises funds and makes connections to provide name, image, and likeness opportunities for UL student athletes. So if you have the opportunity, whether it's 20 bucks, 200 bucks, $2,000 or $20,000, help out the crew because that is college sports today. Uh, be sure to give to the Crew Alon, crewalon.com, and help our UL student athletes. All right, let's get the show on the road. We have a special guest in the house. Uh, now, I guess you could call him a friend of the pod now. He's been here a few times. Of course, he is the managing editor and national writer for D1 Baseball. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Kendall Rogers. You have covered baseball for over 20 years, or you've covered college baseball for over 20 years. I got to ask, man, has it seemed like time has flown by since you started? Because let's be honest, college baseball, with your experience as well, has evolved from, you know, kind of a backyard sport to now a national brand in college athletics. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy, right? I mean, if you look at college baseball as a whole, I mean, this is a sport that uh, is 11.7 scholarships now. You just, you know, you, you just made the the pitch for the collective and things like that. Now, now college baseball is not necessarily 11.7. You've got uh, NIL, you've got collectives, all these different schools. And there's a lot of programs out there, you know, whether it's UL or LSU, A&M, Mississippi State, who have taken advantage of that. So that's one area where college baseball certainly changed. I think the other thing, you know, other big thing for me is just when you go take a look around, you know, if you go to the Teague and just look around, looks a little different than it did back in 2005. And it's that way at the Teague. It's that way at, at, at the Pete at Southern Miss. Coastal Carolina is a prime example. You know, you think back to – I still think back to when they hosted their first regional at Coastal, and they literally had, like – I'm not even joking, like the tents from Academy or Dick Sporting Goods, like the pop-up tents. They had all those, like, down the left and right field line for, like, media. And you go look at what they have now at Springsburg's Park – and it's night and day. So that's the biggest thing when I look at college baseball, just the money that's being put into it. Uh, and rightfully so. It's, it's a growing sport, not only, you know, in terms of television coverage uh, with, you know, obviously, uh, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to take credit on, on our end, but like we're covering at a pretty high level and they're locally, obviously, UL is very lucky to have a local group that really cares about baseball. So the biggest thing for me is just the money put into it and just the overall coverage is substantially more. Look, and I have to throw throw this out, Jerry, before you go. 
You, you mentioned the, the, the academy uh, tents. Look, when we were number one in the country, we were hosting, you know, we were playing uh, Ole Miss at the Teague on, on the mothership. Yeah, and, and what was our, our Ben McDonald's in a duck blind? Deer stand. The top of, yeah, deer stand. Sitting deer in our, stand. And so we've grown quite a bit just like them. It's amazing really how college baseball really across the country has grown over the years. You know what's really funny about Ben McDonald is like a lot of Cajuns fans, because rightfully so, is an LSU guy. But a lot of Cajuns fans took offense to that. I think Ben McDonald would rather do a game from a deer blind than from an actual like really fancy TV booth. So he probably actually That's preferred point, that man. setup. That is true. And look, we got. I mean, look, I know he played. He played for the team across the basin, but we got nothing but love for Ben. He's always said good things about our program. He's covered our games quite a few times. And look, he's he's like you. He's got passion for the sport. That's all you could ask for. Yeah, no doubt, man. I'll tell you what, it's funny you mentioned that Super Regional because, you know, whether it's, you know, on Sirius or other radio shows, people always, especially in the postseason we get on this topic, is like, hey, what is the best Super you've ever covered? And, you know, I had I had covered some regular season games at the team before, but that was my first postseason that I had covered. And I'll tell you what, man, that was probably the best atmosphere I've ever seen. Um you know, LSU, Florida State, the year that Mike Martin won it, his final year in that Super, that was intense. But just in terms of just overall, just loud, in your face, that that team I felt like that the Cajuns had that year really kind of brought that out in fans a little bit with what I would kind of consider controlled chaos a little bit. But I, I'll never forget that Super. I know it turned out a little sour for the Cajuns, but the, the atmosphere, I mean, that was as good as it really gets. And not only college baseball, in my opinion, but like in college sports. I mean, that was – what if I could put in a, uh, I say I say a video cassette. I mean, I'm showing my age here a little bit. If I could, if I could, uh, let's say, give you a, a video MP4 and show you what, like, I would tell somebody across the pond, hey, here's what college baseball is all about. I might show them a clip of the, the crowd in that that weekend. It was it was insane. Yeah, Nick it, and I are very lovely. sentimental about that weekend because Nick is, was the PA guy that year, and I I, I worked in game day operations. Uh, it, that was that was. I think we're still heartbroken. It's been 10 years and, and just remembering that, that weekend and how close we were and just how good that 2014 team was for the Cajuns. I mean, it was, you know, you, they embodied, I felt like they embodied the Cajun culture. They were, they were like, as, as Roby used to call them, they were grinders. They just found ways to win. They didn't care about getting their Jersey dirty, whatever it took to get more runs in the other team. They found ways to do it in the most, unique craziest ways even in midweek games there were a few midweek uh comebacks we had and that was just that 2014 team will go down in history as one of the most fun enjoyable seasons in all of college baseball for the louisiana raging cajuns and that includes the 2000 team that went to omaha no doubt and, and i'll say this too uh, about that team I, I think a couple of things i think number one I have this will this will hurt a little bit that I say this, but like that is a team that I think if they can just get to get to Omaha, you know where where you could get Louisiana that year was if you got beyond the first couple of starters. Because let's be honest, I mean, and Ole Miss kind of showed this. If you got in the bullpen a little bit and you kind of extended that pitching out a little bit, that's where you started to see you know some chinks in the armor a little bit. And I think if that team can get to Omaha with you know you get a day off after each game, you know if you win the first two games, you literally get like three days off. I think that team was set up very well to make a run for the national championship that year. Um, the other thing I would say too is when you look at that style of play they had that year, man, that's a, that's a lot of energy. And I just kind of wonder a little bit if the, just the amount of energy that team played with all year long, uh, if it just kind of caught up to them in, in that super weekend, you know what I think about guys, you remember a couple of years ago when Tennessee was by far the number one team in the country, but they play with an edge. You know, they were in, and the Cajuns weren't like this, but they were in your face. They play with crazy energy all the time. And all of a sudden, they get punched in the mouth in a super or in that, in that super against Notre Dame, and they were a totally different team. You just kind of wonder if, if UL kind of went that same fate a little bit where they just played like, you know, zero to 90 all year long. And it's just, it's just hard to keep that up. But yeah, that, that team was was incredible. I mean, I still think back and Matt, Matt and I coached eggs and I always talk about this, but I can't remember if it was Chase Compton. I can't remember exactly who it was, but I remember they hit a home run in the, in the opening game that, that damn near hit the top of the light standard in the left field. And I kid you not, the next at bat with bases loaded, the dude bunted 
And, like, that was just kind of what that team was, right? Just a bunch of selfless dudes who, you know what? I just hit a 450-foot bomb, but guess what I'm going to do the next at bat? I'm going to lay down a bun on you. And that kind of, to me, that just was kind of the snapshot of that, that team all year long. But, yeah, what a, it is good to throw back and talk about those guys because they were fun. I blame it all on Sykes Orvis. I, I can't stand yeah. that guy just because of that entire weekend he owned us. I mean, you could throw anything at that dude. And I just remember his name because I announced it so often. And I had to say Sykes Orvis with another home run on the weekend. Well, so Yeah, I mean, what, what's great, you know, the college baseball postseason is really all about, uh, you know, guys that you least expect. I still think back to, you know, Christian Trent that year had had a lot of ups and downs. He was the guy who kind of felt like if, if UL could – you know, go against him that final game. They had a really good shot. And what happens? He goes up there and, I mean, hell, throws the game of his life against the most prolific offense in college baseball. So, um, you know, that, that that's, you know, to kind of lead us into what we're talking about tonight is uh, that is what Matt's trying to get them back to. Um, it's It's been a little bit of a tough slog until the last couple of years. But, you know, you're starting to see some some systematic and, and you know, progress with this program, you know, they get to the college station regional a couple of years ago. I thought Will Bayon and that team actually played pretty well that weekend. Turns out Aiden was pretty good. Um, you know, last year they went 40 plus games uh, and get to Coral Gables. So the, 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 the building blocks to getting back to that point are, are certainly there. I feel like. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, uh, Kendall. So, you know, last year you made your point where the Cajuns got in as an at-large and I think they were the 63rd team picked uh, to get into a regional, they went for the second year in a row. Uh, they headed over to Coral Gables. Talk a little bit about your impression of Louisiana's performance at Coral Gables. I mean, look, they played Texas in the the opening game. Uh, if JT's, uh, you know, bomb out to center field is like three feet higher, maybe we're talking about the Cajuns winning that game and possibly winning that regional. I mean, it just, it was almost a game of inches when it came to that Texas matchup. And for the most part, I thought they performed pretty well, but uh, just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that and uh, the Cajuns performance. Yeah, man. And am I thinking right that Dylan Campbell for Texas made like an outrageous catch against UL in that one game? Field. Yeah, Three exactly. Shot, that was that was lost. Yeah, we. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> you're talking about a game that you lost four to two. I mean, that was the the, the decisive play. There it was Dylan Cable making that acrobatic play. So, you know, to to lose by by narrow margin to Texas and Miami and the story programs they are. Uh, there's no shame in that. I, I thought UL, especially against Texas, uh, played really well. They just you know didn't didn't get lucky, and Dylan Cable did get lucky, and that's kind of college baseball. But yeah. I, I thought last year was really about just, you know, uh, you know, restoring order and the finality of that. Because I think the year before you're going, okay, they made a regional, you know, that that's cool. Like we're, we're, you know, we're on the road back, but to do that back to back years when 40 plus games, you know, beat coastal twice in the conference tournament, beat a really good Texas state team. Uh, you know, they lost to, to Southern Miss, but again, another really hard fought game. Uh, I thought last year was a huge success, and I think the the biggest thing for this club coming up is you know to not only make the tournament but at least be in the discussion for a regional host. And and I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but you know there you know we had them pick fourth in the Sun Belt, which you know because of the way the conferences kind of broke down in our field of sixty four, they weren't included uh, in the postseason field of sixty four. But I think even with that, I, I think some I think there will be other conferences like the ACC that will have one less team. I do think personally that the Cajuns do end up making the tournament. I think they can make a run. I think they've got the personnel to do it. Yeah, and that's what I was about to ask you next. So you projected uh, on D1 Baseball that the Cajuns are projected to win 41 games, which is, I mean, 40 sort of that sweet number if you want a chance at a postseason, especially coming from a conference like the Sun Belt or an upper echelon conference. Uh, and then, like you said, you had them finishing fourth in the Sun Belt, which, believe it or not, in the Sun Belt, fourth place isn't that bad compared to what it no, was 10 years not, ago. Not in uh, today's Sun Belt. <laughs> maybe, maybe in your mom's right. Sun Belt or something. Correct. Correct. I mean, I personally, I'd like to finish maybe higher than that, but fourth place. Okay. That's fine. But you also, like you said, you have them missing the postseason. Now, how did you come up with the conclusion of your projection based on what the Cajuns have returning and what you saw on the roster this upcoming season? Yeah. I mean, we kind of did that as a staff. It was less about them and more about just how we thought the committee would break down some other conferences. I do feel like th that the Sunbelt will end up getting a fourth team at the end of the day. Um, I just think when you look at that league as a whole, I, I mean, I love that league. You know, I, you, you talk about Coastal, Troy, Southern Miss, Louisiana. I think Texas State's going to be really good again. 
Um, you know, Georgia Southern and Georgia State are both teams that have made some noise. App State last year uh, was much improved from the previous season. So I think the RPI for that league would end up being good. And even though as a staff we ended up having just three bids, I think it's going to end up being a four-bid league at the end of the day. I think I think one of these leagues like the Colonial or Conference USA or American will end up getting one less bid. So I'm glad you, you talked about the Sun Belt, you know, the strength of the Sun Belt. I, I kind of want to expand on that a little bit. We we finished as a top five RPI league last season. That kind of re- is reminiscent to me of, of back in the days when we had like Middle Tennessee with Dewan Brazelton. Uh, you know, FIU coach Danny Price always had a good team. Steve Kittrell at South Alabama always had a good team. We were in the mix. We had four or five teams that were all competing to be in a regional year in and year out. This year... Uh, your preseason top 25 only includes Coastal Carolina. Just out of curiosity, do you think that the Sun Belt will again be one of the, quote, power five baseball conferences this year? No, I do. I, I think this league's going to be really good. You know, Troy was a team that was probably our tw- – them, them or Auburn are probably our 26th team. Uh, it was razor thin between those two teams. But, yeah, I do. I mean, I think if you look at this league overall, you're looking at Coastal, Southern Miss, um, you know, um, Troy, Louisiana, Texas State. I think all of those teams for me are very much postseason caliber. And I think when you look outside those teams, uh, you know, James Madison, you know, I know that they, they were kind of a big story in football last year. But, you know, they they are a program that, you know, has a lot coming back. You know, Fenwick Trimble, you know, their outfielder, is one of the top players in college baseball. So they've got a nice nucleus as well. Old Dominion, we didn't even talk about ODU. Um, they're going to be in the mix. I mean, Chris Finwood always seems to have the Monarchs ready to play. So, you know, you're talking about a league that I felt like, you know, before realignment was probably, you know, you're thinking like, okay, there's two or three good teams in this league. Now I kind of feel like you're talking about a league that's, you know, six or seven teams deep that you can go, you know what, hey, we can take our sixth or seventh team. You know, we could go play a middle middle of the road power conference team and we're going to hang, not only can we hang with them, but we can actually beat them. So I, I love the complexion of this league. I love the fact that you've got natural rivals. You know, Coastal is kind of everybody's natural rival, right? You've got, you know, Troy that's in decent proximity to Louisiana. You've got Southern Miss and Louisiana is already a just a hard-nosed rivalry. You know, South Al, I mean, to give you an idea how good this league is now, I mean, South Al, I mean, was a punching bag last year. And you're talking about a program that you could argue outside of maybe – uh, Louisiana and Southern Miss has the most storied uh, overall history of any program in this league. So that just kind of gives you an idea of just how deep this conference is. But yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I was looking the other day when I was doing the Sunbelt previews, like, man, I didn't realize that South Al was that bad last year, but they were. I think what's more surprising uh, about the Sunbelt and what's more impressive and, and promising is that you're seeing teams, especially like Marshall and ODU, newcomers into the conference. Look at what they're doing to their facilities. I mean, Marshall's built a brand new baseball stadium. ODU's doing a full renovation. I believe Troy's doing a renovation. Georgia yeah, they're doing Southern a big one. Some, yeah, like yeah. Georgia Southern's doing, adding some party deck to their stadium. You're starting to see a lot of investments in the facilities in the Sunbelt. That's been very impressive to see and i believe georgia state right now is talking about thank god that's stadium. terrible that's a yeah. dump at georgia so, state <laughs> didn't, they I mean, like just, a, didn't they play like a city park or something like a city like yeah like, like 20 minutes park? away yeah. yeah like 20 minutes away from downtown atlanta so it's well, cool to see the, yeah. the teams invest you know and what's really interesting and, and and i'm not like drawing a like a a broad like idea of this conference as a whole but what i'm saying is that for uh, Georgia Southern or ODU, uh, James Madison, some of these programs, they I think they realized to some extent, and, and Marshall, you can even throw in here too, even though they did make a bowl in football. I think some of these programs to an extent have realized that, like, hey, not to say their football facilities are bad, but what they've realized is, okay, in football, you know, why should we throw $25 million or $30 million on our football program? when we're never going to probably compete with the big boys. But you know what we can do? We can take a lot, of, a lot of money, throw it into baseball, and not only can we compete, but we can get notoriety by making the postseason, having a chance to make the postseason, and having a chance to get to Omaha. So I think, you know, this kind of goes back to Louisiana, Southern Miss, and Coastal. I think programs look at those – or other programs look at those three programs and go, okay, here is kind of the – Here's kind of the, you know, the, the, the pathway to get to where you want to get. 
Um, I think that's kind of what happened or what has happened with some of these smaller programs in this league. Yeah, certainly. And look, we no no team in this league you can can you sleep on. I mean, you look at the fact that we beat number one LSU in the midweek and then all of a sudden we go to James Madison and get swept on the road. So <laughs> there's really no team you can sleep on. Yeah, whereas in the past you really could. And, and even UL Monroe, I mean, I was just, you know, I was um I was doing when I was doing the Sunbelt preview. Even those guys, I mean, they had like three weekend starters that are up to like 94, 95. So, and that's the other thing about college baseball that just cracks me up these days. I still remember, you know, I'd go watch a kid back in like the mid-2000s and like, oh, my God, like this guy just threw 94. And like now, it's like, I mean, that's commonplace. Like if you don't throw 92, 94, like, you know, you might as well just, you might as well just go home on draft day because you're probably not going to get drafted. So it's, it's, it's just funny how, how things are so different. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the Cajuns. So in your fall report, you you mentioned uh, Coach Deggs having a quote. I thought this was one of the best falls I've ever seen as a head coach. Now, coming from Deggs, you got to think, you know, that that's huge because Deggs was part of the 14 team. He, he's been a part of some great teams uh, through the course of his career. Is that just coach speak or or is there a little bit more to it do you think that there's a little more to this team than uh than we realize i think there's a little more to it and then the reason why i tell you that is because i've known matt for since he was a assistant at arkansas and i'll be honest when he got the job there and i talked to him after their first fall he's like man we got a lot of work to do like i'm not gonna sugarcoat it like we've got a really long way to go and so he's one of those guys at least to me has very much always been a straight shooter. And I just think that when he looks at the the potential pitching depth of this team, uh, I know there's some newcomers positionally. You're, you know, you're, you're replacing, you know, Rocco Forty. Um, you're replacing Julian Brock, who's like my favorite behind the plate. Uh, I love that guy. Uh, Heath Hood. I mean, you're replacing some absolute studs, but you're also replacing those guys with some, you know, talented uh, junior college transfers, talented freshmen. Uh, I, I like the fact that uh, – you know, the pitching to me seems a little bit more high level or higher level stuff wise than last year. So, no, I think he's being dead honest. I think he, I think he looks at this team and goes, there's a lot of potential with this club. That's not gonna, not to say that he's going to guarantee a super regional appearance, but I, I, I do agree that he had a lot of fun because I mean, I, the other thing with this team is if you look at a lot of these positions, whether it's catcher, you know, duck up a story, guys like that. Man, it's a lot of new faces, right? And I think coaches really like that when there's a lot of new faces and you know, fans fans kinda of go into the season not really knowing what to expect to some degree. Yeah, and speaking of which, um, you know, you just mentioned Julian Brock. Uh look, let's be honest, you just mentioned it. We're gonna be replacing some bats. And and as we know, Matt Deggs is an offensive guy, so his fans not to say we're worried, but it's a little concerning when you have a lot of big names like you just mentioned. You know, Carson Rockerford's gone, Julian Brock's gone, Heath Hood's gone, uh, Will Vayon's gone. But uh, let's talk about Julian Brock a little bit. Now, you mentioned he's one of your your personal favorites. I mean, great behind the plate, just an all around gritty athlete, gritty catcher. I mean, that's a huge that's a huge loss behind the plate for us. Plus, his bat complements what he does defensively. Uh, but we do have a newcomer by the name of Jose Torres coming in. Uh, what can you expect from Jose uh, offensively and defensively? Obviously, he has some big shoes to fill behind Julian. But uh, what do you see in in uh, Jose Torres and what he can bring to the, uh, the to the Cajuns lineup this year as a catcher? Yeah, yeah, man, that's a great question. You know, the thing about Julian that I really liked is I think early on in his career. He obviously just was as strong as a bull, but I mean, he was one of those guys that I felt like early on in his career uh, was really solid defensively. Kind of had a little bit to little, little bit ways to go from an offensive standpoint, but you know, by the time he left, uh, he was a really balanced player. He hit for a good average, hit for power, was really good behind the plate, was a great leader, and so that's what they're having to replace, and that's very difficult. Um, the one thing I do like about Jose Torres um, is he kind of you know kind of earned his stripes at a at a premier junior college like San Jacinto. Uh, I can tell you just from following those guys a little bit, uh, they play really good competition. So I have no doubt he's going to be seasoned. But, you know, from what I understand, he's just a really good defensive uh, receiver, really good, you know, really good, you know, really good arm, really accurate arm. So I think what you're going to see, at least early on, is a guy that's really good defensively. They just kind of progressively gets better offensively. And I I always say this about catchers. If I'm a coach – if a catcher's excellent behind the plate or he's really good behind the plate, 
tell you what, if he can hit 260, 270 and give me 9, 10, 11 jacks, like I'm happy. Like that's all that's all I really want out of a catcher. And so I think the biggest thing for him is, you know, can he give them a little bit of power production hit for a decent average? Uh, but most importantly, be really good behind the plate. Because I really think more than anything else, it's what you're losing in Julian. Um, and I know, you know, Jackson Halter uh, is another guy that I think Matt is willing to take a look at too um, if Jose doesn't work out. I think the hope right now is that Jose works out. But, yeah, they they really like his defensive skill set. And, you know, I'll see see you guys, uh, was it week three in Houston? So we'll get a pretty good taste of those guys uh, that weekend. They'll have some good competition that weekend for sure. Which we'll brings out a lot to- about this team. No doubt about it, which brings me to my next player, uh, of course. Now, we do have a staple at shortstop. Uh, Kyle DeBarge, as we all know him as Debo, you recently showed some love to him, man. You ranked him seventh best shortstop in the country. Uh, that's pretty awesome, uh, you know, for that position. I mean, it's a tough position to play. Talk about him for a second. What What is your... What is your outlook or what is your opinion on, on Kyle DeBarge and uh, why did you rank him at number seven? Well, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, I still remember back um, when I saw him his first fall and you guys may even remember this, but I remember like the first two at-bats I saw from him in Baton Rouge as a freshman. I remember turning to scout like, who the hell is this guy? And like, I, I loved everything about him. His offensive approach was awesome. He had power. His skill set you know, on the defensive side of things, even as a freshman, was elite. Uh, he looked like a leader out there, even though he's only a true freshman. And he, again, he's just another guy in this program that's taken a torch. Um, he's, you know, obviously physique-wise a little different than Blake, you know, Trahan. But I think he, in terms of just, take, you know, taking the torch and want to, just wanting to be that guy, uh, he, like that is who he is. And so – there, I, I just think when you look at him, there's just there's nothing about his game I don't like. He can hit. He can hit for power. Uh, he's a really good defender. And, I mean, that's all you can really say about him. He, he checks every single box. There's few of those guys in college baseball. So one of the things that we have to look forward to this season, and I think, I mean, we're this is not uncommon to our team. This is across the country, is, is losing guys that have experience, that are team leaders, that are that are energy guys, that, that really get – Get get your team going and, and kind of are the spark plug and immediately thought of Max Marshak last season, hot corner for the Cajuns. Uh, but it sounds like, and I had to Google Nova Southeastern because I wasn't sure what that was. But well, it's you like Miami, earlier, right? In that Miami area? Yeah, it's in Florida, right? Yeah. So uh, Duncan Pastore, like you mentioned, uh, is a newcomer to this team. He Word is he's nailed down the uh, the starting position going down into opening day. Tell us a little bit about what you know about Duncan. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, I, I do know Nova's a really successful program at the at the D two level. Um, it's a really good program, but you know, the the, the I kind of the, the first thing for me that really stands out about him, and you know, Matt, you know, referred to him to me in the fall, is their best addition. And I think the biggest thing he really likes about him is his you know physicality. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's six three two hundred. I mean, I wish I was six three two hundred. That sounds pretty good. So, um, you know, his physicality really stands out. You know, he hit three forty six last year, uh, eleven bombs. You know, obviously third base is a really important position, and they're going to trust him over there. They felt like he, had, you know, he's pretty good defensively over there in the fall. So, again, kind of the story with many of these guys that they added out. You know, whether it's the portal or added from a different level. And, you know, we'll talk about Jack Martinez in a minute on the pitching side. But, I mean, uh, you know, it sounds to me like he's a real deal. Like he's an immediate impact kind of guy. And, you know, we, we talk about the the physiques with this team. You know, another newcomer, uh, Connor Cuff, a, a talented freshman, you know, 6'4", 200 pounds. You know, the thing I liked about him, too, speaking of, you know, because Cuff has a shot to play third, too, at times. So that's why I mentioned him. But, you know, Cuff is, is a guy that, that was a high school football quarterback. I know that's something that Matt really, really likes. He's a guy that, you know, has been in a stressful situation, has been a, a quarterback on the gridiron, uh, knows how to lead a team. And so I think they're in great shape over there with, with Cuff and, and, you know, of course, uh, Pastore. Yeah, and I think talking again about, about players that we're losing, I don't know that you can replace – a Carson Rockefort. I think you can you can maybe hope that you have somebody who can be as productive as he is, but I don't know that you'll ever replace him. Um, you know, you you worry about 
things like dipping in quality in that position, guys at the plate who had the discipline and the knowledge and the skill. Uh, who do you think might be the next Carson Rockefeller for this team? Do you is there anybody that that jumps out at you as as the real difference maker? I mean, it, it would be easy to see deep say Debo. But but is there anybody else on the team that that you would think could step up and be that guy, that game changer on on the Cajuns team going into 2024? Yeah, you know, you know, Connor Higgs is an obvious one, right? Just when you look at the his consistency and his power potential. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll go go with another angle here, and I'll go with Caleb Stelly. I mean, he was a guy that um, when he arrived on campus last year, that Matt was like sky high about. And uh, obviously the, the numbers in, you know, last year weren't hot. But, I mean, he's a guy that, ha- again, has a lot of tools, uh, 6'2", 195 pounds. Again, just a really, really just great physique kid. Uh, he's going to move from left field to center field. So, again, a prominent position. He's going to need to be a strong defender out there. But, you know, offensively and defensively, I think Matt, you know, has very, very high hopes for what he can do this year. So Higgs would be like the easiest answer just because he's a veteran and he's coming off a really good year uh, offensively. But I'm actually going to go with Caleb Stilley. I think I'm going to circle him as my breakout candidate. I think he's going to have a big year. So speaking of breakout king, of course, we got, we can't not mention offense without one of the honorary bat bros, uh, Mr. John Taylor, second baseman. You know, JT has a lot of high expectations coming in. He burst out into the scene last year, had some great hits, played great at second base. Uh, obviously, he's somebody that's going to have to step it up uh, or take a step forward to have consistent success for the Cajuns, and he's going to have to remain strong in the middle defensively at second base. Um, what do you see with JT and, and the expectations of him going into this season, both offensively and defensively? I think the biggest thing for him is, you know, is just, you know, be establishing that, establishing that consistency, excuse me. Uh, you know, it, I think there's a guy last year that kind of broke out. I think it'll be interesting to see just, you know, can he emulate that type of success? You know, last year as a breakout guy, like you're, you're kind of one of those players that maybe people aren't expecting you to have that kind of year. Well, now, guess what? Teams are going to know, hey, like this guy's a big-time player. He can hit for pop. He can hit for average. He can, you know, he can steal some bases. And so teams are going to make some adjustments. So I think the biggest thing for him is is realizing that teams are going to make pretty pretty sizable adjustments against him and, you know, being able to handle that. But there's no doubt, man. Like, you, again, you talk about the numbers there, a guy that, that, that walks almost as much as he strikes out or, you know, is, those numbers are about equal – you know, can can steal some bases, hits for an average, hits for power. Uh, I mean, if you can get that out of your, your two-bagger, like, you're in pretty good shape because that typically is not the type of production you get out of a second baseman, especially from a power perspective. Yeah, he's definitely – you look at his size and you don't think he's got much power, and then there's a few times he's hit some home runs and you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, definitely... you know, Blake back in the day. I mean, he finished that year with, what, like 10 or 12 home runs or maybe maybe even more than that. You're like, wait, yeah. how in the hell? Do, like, how in the hell does he have 14 bombs? Right, right. He's one of those guys. Like he, my, I think that. my, I think my 10 year old's like taller than he was back then. <laughs> and, my, and I, and I love Blake, and he knows that. So, no disrespect to Blake. Hey, look, he was another one that just covered his territory at shortstop. I mean, he's one of those guys where you're like, okay, he can't do that. And you just see how smooth he was. I remember in the 2015 Super Regional in Baton Rouge, he and Bregman were going trying to outdo each other. Yeah, at, at shortstop. Well, the thing I loved about Blake too was like he had such an unorthodox throwing motion. I remember like he kind of like yeah, he kind of across like that, his body. Yeah, and yeah. it's always almost just like wait, is he about to throw the ball away? Then then you know at the end of the play, the ball's going right in the glove. But yeah, this is one one of the the best slash most unorthodox throwing motions I've ever seen. But it worked. It worked. Yeah, he, he he's definitely a legend. He was recently inducted into the uh, wasn't he inducted to the UL Hall of Fame, Nick? Recently? What is he doing now, by the way? I don't know what he's doing these days. Question. Yeah, I, I actually Googled it and I couldn't find out because I was <laughs> curious too, Kendall, but I, I couldn't find my brother. So my brother is Coach Dill on the team. I need to ask him what he, what he's doing. In fact, I'll that'll test him right homework. now. Maybe, that'll be your homework. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll get an answer before the end of this. We'll have to find that. But anyway, so we were talking about the offense, uh, Kendall. Um, you know, the Degs offense has is, is always been aggressive. You know, Degs loves to play small ball mixed in with a little bit of gorilla ball. Do, do you sense losing guys like Julian Brock, Carson Rockefeller, Heath Hood, Will Vayon? Do you sense a shift in the offensive philosophy for 2024? You know, and then on top of that, we lost one of our hitting coaches, uh, assistant coach Jake Wells. He moved on. 
Um, and also we've lost some athleticism on the base paths. You know, one thing we did last year is we stole a lot of bases. Um, does this team have a similar makeup with the newcomers? Uh, do we steal that many bases this year from what you see on the roster? Uh, do we lean on manufacturing runs with maybe the pitching staff we have coming in? Or do we just trust the guys to hit balls hard through the lineup? But what, what kind of philosophy uh, and makeup do you see offensively this year? Yeah, man, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I had that discussion with Matt when I was breaking on this offense in the fall. And he didn't, he did not like mince words. Like he made it abundantly clear, like, Hey, if this team still has that many bases, I'll be the most shocked person in this town. And that kind of gives you an idea of what they're expecting. So, you know, do I think a Matt Deggs offense, is it going to at least try that, try that, you know, kind of put pressure on you to try to steal some bases uh, without a doubt, they're going to try it. Uh, do I think that, that, that that's what they think is going to be the best formula for this offense? Probably not. I think you're going to see it with more station to station baseball. I think you're going to see uh, so the potential for more for more power. I do think if you look at this offense, the, there's a lot of power potential here. But yeah, this is not going to be a controlled chaos. You know, you know, guys trying to steal second and also trying to steal third. I don't think you're going to see that with this team. That's not necessarily a bad thing though, because a lot of teams like that can you can run yourself out of some innings. So let's talk about pitching a little bit. Gunnar Leger, obviously a Cajun great, now the pitching coach for Louisiana. So excited about that. Um, we, we collectively uh, are, are really thrilled to have Gunnar back as a part of this team. And and he was a he was a, a road protege. He he knew the the pitching to color system. Tell us a little bit about what you've heard about uh, about Gunner as a pitching coach. We've heard we've heard great things. We've heard it's it's an immediate impact to to our our, our pitching staff. But what have you heard about uh, Gunner as a pitching coach? Man, it's been really positive. Uh, first of all, I'm excited for him. Uh, you know, I, I, I talk about Blake, but if I'm being honest, uh, he, he like Gunner was easily my top uh, man crush on that team you know, back then, you know, the, those teams back then. I just think when you look at, you know, his unorthodox style, his, you know, he, he didn't throw 96, but he was able to get the best of the best in college baseball out, uh, you know, for swings and misses. And he was kind of the maestro, man. Like he just knew how to maneuver every single offering. And I think as a pitching coach, that that is really beneficial because guess what? When you're, when you have a kid that may not throw 95 or when you have a kid that, maybe struggling to land his fastball for strikes, like who better to teach you to be able to lean on some other offerings than that guy because he had to do it so often. And so uh, I, I think it's a neat addition. Uh, obviously, you know, he doesn't have 10 years of experience, but, you know, there's a lot of experience on his coaching staff as a whole. So, uh, you know, it seems like his addition has been very well received and, um, you know, it looks like some, some arms took a – took a step forward in the fall. So I guess as, as a mama used to say in East Texas, the proof's in the pudding, but I like where they stand. Yeah. And you mentioned him not having, you know, uh, not throwing for 96, 97, Phil Devi, Andy Grow, you know, guys who got us to Omaha same thing. They, they, they didn't overpower you, but they could maneuver through innings late into the game. So um, that's just a testament to, again, uh, coach rubber shows, uh, pitching style, pitching to colors, and and uh, glad to see that uh, that kind of translating into uh, what uh, what he's doing. Gunner is doing as a pitching coach, and you you mentioned that pitching was one of the biggest improvements on our team in your preseason assessment. Do you think that it's it's a part of the the pitching staff having more depth? Do you think it's you know one of our critiques over the last couple of seasons is we're trying to we're trying to convert some some guys out of the bullpen to be starters? Do you think we have true starters this year? What is the difference in our pitching staff this year that really impresses you? Well, first of all, I love the addition of Jack Martinez. You know, again, we'll find out how he makes the transition a little bit here in a couple of weeks, especially that that Astros weekend. But, you know, he was at Trinity last year. Uh, you know, he was up to 90, 95, 96 with this fastball. In the fall, has really good off-speed stuff. Has, you know, Matt said it was a plus-plus changeup in the fall. We'll attack you with a slider and curve. But he he thought he had a sensational fall. And for Matt to say that you had a sensational fall as a pitcher uh, is pretty impressive. And so, first of all, that's one guy who seems to have elite stuff. I do see what you mean in a guy like Carson Fluno. I mean, I have no doubt he's going to have a good year just because he's a veteran. He's been through the wars. He's been through the battles. 
But, you know, the last time I saw him, I think it was, I want to say, beginning of last year. Um, you know, it was up to 92, 93, but it's very, very heavy slider fastball. So I think the biggest thing for, for Carson is being able to command and throw three pitches for strikes. Uh, I know they're really excited about the two freshmen and, and Chase Morgan and Tate Hess. You know, I think Chase Morgan has a chance to be the, kind of that next great pitcher uh, there in Lafayette, you know, up to 92, 93, 6 195 plus changeup. Uh, they have really high hopes for him. And then, you know, I, I, I'm i not even going to try to say his first name, so I'm just going to go by his initials. Thankfully, they made this uh, they made this official on the roster. But L.P. Uh, Lingvin, the uh, the French kid, uh, he had a really good fall as well, 62-205, up to 94-95 this fastball. Uh, and, you know, the, the thing about him is he's got a lot of natural life to his fastball. What I mean by that is that thing is not just going straight. It's kind of it's tailing out. It's running out of the zone. And that's really hard for hitters to pick up. But, yeah, I, I love the overall kind of just stuff of this team. The, the stuff on this team, to me, seems more impactful than some of the past years uh, with the Cajuns. So, Kendall, you just mentioned Jack Martinez, and he's kind of the big name everybody's kind of expecting to do great things for the Cajuns. Uh, a lot of people are predicting him to be the Friday night guy. Uh, talk a little bit more about him, more in detail, if you could. I know he made the transition from Division Three to D1, now playing for uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, but what is your overall impression of him? What makes him impressive? I mean, right now, you know, again, the expectation for him is pretty high from the people we've talked to. Uh, talk a little bit about his his arm angle, his out pitch, his mentality on the mound, just his style. Like, what can we expect to see on the mound when he's pitching uh, for the Cajuns? Yeah, man, it seems like he goes that change up a lot, from what I understand. Um, that change up's a really good pitch for him. It's a swing and miss offering. You know, some, some arms around the country – you know, they throw the change up. It's kind of a show-me pitch just to kind of keep guys off the other secondary stuff. But it seems like he throws that change up with conviction. Uh, the other thing I really like about him is, you know, what he did at Trinity last year in terms of his consistency. Uh, you're talking about a guy who, you know, threw 51 innings and had 81 strikeouts. That's a lot of strikeouts and 51 innings of work. And so to have that many punches uh, in, in that many innings tells me the stuff's really, really swing and miss. And again, we kind of go back to the previous question about, you know, the you know guys and being starters, those kind of numbers right there tell me that you can be a starting pitcher when you have that much swing and miss and that, that low number of innings. And so again, I, I you know, I, I look at him and, and I, you know, I think like, okay, he's coming from a D, you know, I think Trinity may even be D3. I, I can't remember if they're D2 or D3, but he's coming from a non D1 school. So it's going to be a little bit of a transition, but, you know, if you take a snapshot of that stuff, like stuff is stuff, right? And if he has that electric stuff, I'm expecting a huge, huge impact from day one. So with your conversations to uh, Coach Daggs, uh, did Coach Daggs mention anything about a possible weekend rotation to you during your conversations? Was he uh, letting the competitions play out? What What can we expect if, uh, you know, come – February 16th, as far as uh, the weekend rotation, how it plays out. I think personally, I know, I know Martinez is, you know, Martinez is expecting to play during the weekend. I know Carson Fluno, obviously based off of his performances last year, but look, this team has some depth. I mean, you, there's at least three or four pitchers who can, who can pitch the weekend beyond those two guys. Um, what, what have you heard? Yeah, so it seems like he, you know, he kind of alluded in the fall and, and early early spring to me that it would probably go Martinez, Fluno, uh, and, and Langvin, LP Langvin. So, you know, the thing about it is uh, I do think that, that that Chase Morgan is one of those guys, especially as a left-hander up to 93-94. I do think he's one of those guys, if he, you know, speaking of transitions, if he can make the quick transition just from a raw talent standpoint to a starter, he's going to probably start the midweek. If he gets off to a hot start, I think he's one of those guys that can very easily move into the rotation. The thing about this team, though, like they, they have flexibility because I think if you look at the, the bullpen as a whole, uh, you know, Blake Marshall, David Christie, you know, JT Etheridge is, you know, up to 95, 96. They, they've got really good options in the bullpen. So they, they have that flexibility to kind of tinker around with the starting rotation and, and kind of see what they can get the first few weeks of the season. What I, what I think the optimal situation for this team is, is you, you know, you, you go the first two weekends, put all these guys in some different spots, and then that way you go into playing, you know, LSU and Vanderbilt and Texas, and you have a pretty good idea of, like, who needs to be in your rotation. Because you want to know that before you go into that weekend. Because that weekend really could determine – 
whether or not you get in the postseason or if you're in the mix for regional hosts, whether or not you're hosting a regional. Let's talk about one of the pitchers you mentioned. I mean, I, I think back to Hill DV 2000 College World Series season. He was our starting pitcher on Friday nights from Le Chute, Quebec. We had Gordon O'Brien. He was our closer. He was from Quebec, Canada as well. We've got another Canadian and you're butchering his name from from a Cajun standpoint. You're butchering his name because we call Trahan Trahan, but he calls it Trahan. So I'm going to pronounce our Canadian's name for you. It's Louis Philippe Langevin. If you're if you're pronouncing it in French, oh, see, uh, I'm way off. So yeah, so I was on a I was on a I think it was a Baton Rouge radio station, and I started saying his name, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to stop because I'm going to embarrass myself. You <laughs> know, so I grew up I grew up close to Louisiana border, but apparently not close enough because I was like I grew up in Lufkin, so I was like 85 miles off the border. So I don't I don't know if is is I think many Louisiana was right over the border. Is that even considered yeah. Cajun? Well, no, it's not. Mm, that that's nah, like Arkansas, really. Texas. But but yeah, see, also I, so Baton I Rouge, Mulligan, guys. Bat well, Baton Rouge is also not Cajun, despite what they want to tell you. But they would have probably said Langevin oh, and ninety percent of on that. I know ninety percent <laughs> of, of America would say Langevin, but we're gonna say Langevin because again, I we're like Cajun and we're on a Langevin. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, perfect. Love it. We're going to have to ask him, Jerry. I'm not sure. I'll ask my brother, but big righty, 6'1, 190, quality fastball, mound presence. Uh, you mentioned uh, a Sunday starter, but the guy's versatile. So talk a little bit about his versatility. And, and do you see him as our number three starter? Do you see him kind of being the anchor of our bullpen and our other Canadian closer, Gordon O'Brien? Where do you see him uh, personally in, a, in in the pitching situation? Yeah, you know, just talking to Matt in the fall and just looking at what his stuff is in the scouting report I just pulled up. The thing about him that that seems intriguing to me is it almost seems like he's got a little bit better of a reliever profile. You know, you're talking about a a guy with a big time fastball with natural run to it, a guy with a big time slider. When you when you mention those two things to me and not much else, that tells me like elite reliever. So what I'm kind of wondering is that, you know, kind of what I alluded to earlier with Chase Morgan, is that maybe if Morgan gets off to a really good start, maybe they move, you know, LP back to one of those roles. Uh, because the stuff certainly seems like it plays up a little bit more out of the bullpen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that you know, Matt told me in the fall that it was like as good of a fastball as you're going to see. And that's kind of kind of all I need to be told because uh, he's a pretty straight shooter. So, again, I, I think if you look at him, you know, look at, you know, you look at a big arm like JT, Man, they've got some really nice options back there for a change. I agree for a change because, like I said, we felt like they were trying to convert bullpen guys to starters, and this year it feels like we have some true starters on the mound. Yeah, and you got you know Phil Brenneman was a guy that was up to ninety six in the fall. We hadn't even gotten around to him. You know, Brendan Moody, Murphy Brooks, Patrick Vienne. Uh, I don't know if I mispronounced that one too, but you know he was he was up to ninety three, ninety four in the fall. So again, just velocity and options and and really good options. In your opinion, uh, with all of these options, I'm thinking Martinez has to get us off to a good start on Friday nights. He's the key to our success this season. Your opinion, who's got to have success on the mound for the Cajuns for us to really contend for that conference championship? Yeah, I'm going to go with Fluna, man. I, I think when you look at a team that goes the distance and, and does big things in college baseball, uh, you look at a team that gets big production out of their seniors, right? And I think if you look at a senior like Fluno, uh, you know, if you look at last year, you know, 64 strikeouts, uh, two, 21 walks, um, you know, again, mainly a fastball slider guy. But, you know, if he takes another step forward and he has the kind of year they think he can have as a senior, I love the ability to throw Martinez on a Friday night, come back with a senior. And then, oh, by the way, uh, you know, if, if Chase Morgan, you know, makes a quick transition, you've got probably your most talented overall arm and Chase Morgan – uh, in that mop-up duty on Sunday. So I think that's your – to me, that's the the, the, the more the most high-end rotation you can have. And, again, I circle Fluno as kind of that, the X factor on that pitching staff because he's the guy with the most experience at this level. So let's talk a little bit about the schedule, uh, Kendall. Um, the schedule actually sets up pretty well for the Cajuns early on. Uh, unlike most teams that play some, like, easy northern school, the Cajuns will be challenged the first weekend against Wright State, a team that – is pretty familiar with the postseason. 
Um, and then also, you know, a few weeks later, they go to Houston and play two prominent SEC powerhouses. And they also have Rice and Tulane on their schedule as non-conference uh, weekend series. And of course, there's conference play. Uh, when you look at the schedule, considering all the rules that need to be defined and the learning curve of some of these newcomers, what series do you see on this schedule that's extremely pivotal for the Cajuns in 2024? Uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to go with a group of series. And what I mean by that is I think it's going to be incredibly important to take care of business those first couple of weekends against Wright State and, and Rice. I think, you know, Matt did his homework on scheduling the Wright State. They're one of those teams that I'll, if a coach calls me and says, hey, who should I be scheduling non-conference? I always say Wright State because they're a given major who always has a high winning percentage, which is obviously crucial from an RPI formula perspective. So I think it's going to be important to get off to a hot start because you play, you know, you get, the, get those trio of tough teams, uh, in Houston, but then you go go down to April 19th that weekend, and you're looking at Coastal Carolina, Southern Miss, and Troy, three straight weekends. The schedule makers in the Sun Belt did the cages no favors. The good thing is, towards the end of the year, what you know, like what you what you have is what you're going to have at that point, right? Like you're not like this team's not all of a sudden going to stink for you know three and a half months or four months, and then. You know, early May, all, all of a sudden it's a great team. That's not the the way college baseball works. So we're going to know what this team's about before that. And I just think that three-weekend stretch for me, that, that's going to define their entire season because if you went to those three series and you had a good non-conference, you're probably going to, um, you know, you're probably going to be in the mix for not only making the tournament, but if you went to those three series, you're probably in the mix for regional hosts. And so I circle those three weekends is, is just incredible. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I, unfortunately, only one of those are at home. But, man, if they can win two of those three, uh, they, they could do some big things in the postseason. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, some people look at the schedule and are like, man, Rice hasn't been Rice of the past. You know, Tulane had to sneak in last year with, what was it, 18, 19 wins, but they still made the postseason and they finished. Yeah, they won the conference two. tournament. I think they entered the conference tournament like nine wins or something. Right, right. You know, but at the same time, you don't want to underestimate any of these teams because they they have – they have a history. So Kendall, I got to ask, man, and I know you travel a lot. You, you make a lot of road trips to different ballparks. Um, first of all, have you seen the new turf at the Teague? And secondly, will we see you at the Teague this year? Well, I, I have seen it. Um, I actually saw like a flyover or something with a drone like a couple of weeks ago. It looks awesome. Uh, you know, I, I love what they've done in that ballpark. I mean, obviously, uh, I love this, the rustic nature of the old school park. But I mean, you go to that place and – you know, like it feels like a big time program. Uh, you got the, you know, the, the smoker in right field and, you know, every little thing helps. And, you know, I know that they continue to do upgrades and, and you know, that's deserved. But, you know, I look back or I kind of look at the, the schedule and uh, I've got that weekend of April 26, 27, 28th against Southern Miss circled. Uh, I just think given how I think both of those teams are going to be, uh, I think that's going to be a massive series on the national stage. So uh, I'm pointing to that weekend more than likely. You gotta gotta see who your uh, who your friendly tigers are playing at home that weekend too. Maybe double dip. You know what that means, right? You gotta let us know. You gotta let us know, man. We'll show you some good restaurants, some good places in Lafayette. I always let people know when I come over there uh, because the, the Cajun Cooking Club always takes care of me. Uh, I think I gain like nine pounds when I go to Lafayette. So, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's one hundred percent worth it. I, I always joke with people who, whether they take a job at the university or a new coach, I always tell them, fall in love with cardio if you can, because you'll get, you, it'll catch up with you pretty fast. Yeah, man, <laughs> skinny people in Louisiana, I know how they do it. <laughs> well, I think I go, every time I go to old time, I get like two different types of uh, po' boys. I get like a the shrimp one, and then I, I don't know, I can't remember the other one. Maybe I'm thinking of Daryl's. The, the the bad thing is when you go to Daryl's and Old Time on the same trip. I mean, that's just not that's just mean to your body. You're just asking to want to take oh, a nap because you're, just, your well, body you're asking for a lot more than taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kendall, that's man, as we far can't. As think... I'll go. Oh, it's all good, man. Look, <laughs> we can't thank you enough for taking to taking the time to talk to us today. And and uh, Nick, do you have anything else for Kendall before? By the way, Nick, where are you in Houston, home? man? I didn't realize yeah, you were in Houston. Good. I was going to say I'm in Cyprus and that's what oh. I was going to say before we go. 
it, look, I'm going to be at the at the college classic. Would love to buy you some beverages or some some something to eat. So let me know where you are when you're coming it's in. Hilarious. And, uh, we'll so hook I, up. I live uh, I live in spring between spring and Dude. So I'm like 10, 15 minutes from. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right, we can be BFFs now. Come on. At least look, you're not, hey, at least you're not the guy down the street who's leaving his dog out late at night. I thought you might have been that guy. <laughs> no, I'm not that guy. But look, uh, I have a pretty sweet setup here with like 15 different TVs in my house watching baseball. So anytime you want to come over, just hop you got on it, over brother. To yeah, Cyprus. we'll see you. He has he has watch parties, FYI. Just to <laughs> I let do. You know. I and do. he invites people to watch, you know, great occasion uh, football games. So <laughs> if you see the big block party in Cyprus, they're all going to Nick's house. Yeah, he had a nice little Diet Coke there. So I, I already, I liked him already when I saw him sipping that Diet Coke out of that little uh, whiskey glass. Yeah, that, I knew that wasn't Diet yeah, Coke. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is some Diet Coke in there, but, you know. He's like, he, he's like, I told my wife I was having a Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, a splash of it. <laughs> well, Kendall, we want to thank you so much for coming on the Razor Review podcast. We always enjoy this time of year. College baseball is literally on our doorstep. We cannot wait. We, you know, Cajun Nation takes college baseball very seriously. It's a, it's part of our culture down here, and so uh, we look forward to hearing more of your your great words of wisdom along the college baseball world. Thank you so much for all you do because it gives us the knowledge to learn more about the sport. So speaking of which, Kendall, before you go, tell us where everybody can find you. Yeah, man, just uh, at D1 Baseball on X slash Twitter, whatever you want to call it these days. Uh, and then D1Baseball.com actually came out with our Sunbelt preview the other day, top 50 prospects, a junior class. I want to say top 40 or top 30 in, in the sophomore class. Uh, and then the like top 30 freshmen, uh, a lot of cages in those lists, but yeah, I, tell you what, man, it's a final word. Um, there, there are very few fan bases in college baseball that I would come out and say that they're deserving of a, of a team that can you know, host regionals, get to Omaha, win national championships. Uh, but Louisiana is one of those teams uh, that the fans there are fantastic and they're always extremely welcoming when I come over there. So if I come over there for the Southern Miss series, I'll let everybody know and I'll let Nick buy me a drink. And by the way, our fan base will never say you hate us. I know a, a few fan bases do that. You hate every fan base, so we won't be one of those fan bases. <laughs> I don't know. There's a last year at the end of the year, I said a lot of really nice things about LSU, so I'm sure some of your fans cuss me. We call them TSAB. We don't know what that school you just mentioned is. They're TSAB to us. That school across the basin. They love when we call them that. Yeah, my man, my man, that Ray Romero keeps me in check a little bit on that one. <laughs> Love well, it. For every time, for every time they add that extra L to the our UL, we call it and just make them just as dude. Mad. I get we'll on counter with that. Hey man, I'm I'm a, I'm a man of the people. I get on the radio shows over there, and I'll say Louisiana, and they'll be like, "Who?" And I'm like, "Come on, guys! Like, let's not go." Oh yeah, let's, let's think how we feel. Oh yeah, think how we feel. But you know what? It's people <laughs> like you that helps us win the name battle. So no, just keep saying Louisiana. You're doing a great job. Don't worry about what they think. Hey, we appreciate the love. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon, buddy. All right, there he goes. That's Mr. Kendall Rogers. And Nick, baseball season is here, man. Can you believe it? Finally, after that, you know, it's always tough. It's always tough after that last out, especially in the postseason, because you just know the ride's over. It was a great year, the ups and the downs. You know, I, I love the 56-game baseball season because every game matters, whether it's a midweek game, whether it's in week one or week two. And I just feel like this team and the culture and everything about uh, Louisiana baseball, it just it just brings the best out of Cajun Nation. No matter, you know, even on Rage Review, we complain and stuff at times, but college baseball is just, everybody's happy. Dude, I look, I came in here ecstatic, the fact that we're talking about college baseball, and now I find out Kendall Rogers is my neighbor. We're going to be best friends. Like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> are, are you kidding me? So my night, my year is made. There's nothing you can do to ruin my, my mood right now. It's happening. It's here, baby. Let's go. Look, look, the man calls us Louisiana on Baton Rouge radio. Okay. <laughs> he, he is, he can have all the dusted crawfish he wants from that's us. That's what right, I'm Nick? talking about. By the way, that's the only way to do it. My daddy, look, my dad is 88 years old, has been dusting crawfish his whole life. He's got a reason <laughs> and a science behind it. It's a thing. It works. Let's not get into that. Uh, no. Let me just. Uh, tonight was fun, man. I Take enjoyed that. In. Take it all in. Yeah. Nick, any uh, parting words before we go? No, man. Uh, it's here, baby. It's here. And uh, yeah, I'm geeked up. I know you're geeked up. We're all geeked yeah. up. Let's do this.
It's going to be fun. Opening night at the T, February 16th, Friday night against Wright State. First pitch, 6 o'clock. It's here, and we'll talk more about it as it gets closer. But, man, it's right on our doorstep. Uh, again, that was Mr. Kendall Rogers, managing editor and national writer of D1 Baseball. You can go check out his information. He's on Twitter. He's on all of the social media pages. Of course, go to D1Baseball.com for all information regarding college baseball. It's one of the best, if not the best, in the business of college baseball. As you can hear in the back, John Fogarty, center field. Put me in, coach. Baseball season is here. We are ready to play. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more about the Cajuns baseball team, just tune in here. The wise words of Mr. Kendall Rogers. Of course, like I said, you can go to his website, learn more information about him. He talks about all the teams across college baseball. Uh, As far as Razor Review, if you like what we do, please like, subscribe, comment. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, TikTok. You can also listen to our audio on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. One more time, special thanks to Dr. Brett Venable, Recovery Cairo Med, as well as Absolutely Embroidery and more. Well, guys, it's been fun. Mr. Kendall Rogers, thanks again for coming on. For Nick, I'm Jerry. We are the Rager Review Podcast in the words of the late, great Big Dave Thibodeau. Bye. We out of here. See you next time for more Raging Review. Good night, everybody.